Welcome. Hello, everyone. To episode seven of the Everyone Belongs podcast. And this podcast, um, I believe the description somewhere says that our goal for this channel is to help people think beyond tribes and systems into a love that's big enough for everyone. Now there's a little important distinction there in, in the description, and that is that we're not trying to get people to move out of um, tribes or systems or boycott them or hate them, um, but actually just to know that there is something possibly beyond it and to discuss that. So if you are a fan of tribes or systems or teams, great. We're not going to try and stop you. But especially those who find themselves on the outside of a tribe or a family, those people, I think this message is especially for them. Yes, because they, like us, if you guys have been hearing our story, have more incentive, I think, to try and figure out what it means to be outside. All right. It could be that something's just wrong with you. <laughs> Or it could be that not everyone can fit into every tribe or system. And that's actually not a problem with the person. It's actually a problem with the tribe or system. So, okay, that's enough preaching for now. Um, we are in part seven of our story. <clears throat> yeah. This has been a very intense process so far. Especially and the last couple. Yes. And I've been overwhelmed with feedback. Yeah, which has mostly been great. A lot of positive feedback. A lot of, yeah. Some feedback. Like, I mean, it's kind of just crazy because a lot of these things happened three or four years ago and we haven't talked about them publicly, which for some people might be like a big deal. But for us, we've made a thousand videos in the last four years and we've kept most of these details on the down low. Um, can you get that volume turned down on that yeah. television? <clears throat> for those of you guys who don't know we are filming this in our basement while kids are attempting to be quiet um okay so quick summary um we were missionaries wannabes bible college virgins technically when we got married sold out for church kind of got kicked out of a church slash told we resigned um and then we dedicated our life to discipleship um being mentored by cammy's brother jeremy then we created a community in kentucky then i got accused of pride and then everything started falling apart <laughs> yeah and that's where we are. So last week I ended off, and this is, I have, I do not know how to merge this with current life reality. Telling the story, last week we ended off with me going to a coffee shop and hearing from one of my best friends, Mark, that he wasn't allowed to talk to me. Now that was the exact line that I quoted him for in the last episode. But news update. I heard from Mark this week for the first time in 
Two years. Two years, more than two years. Mm. With a correction. Um, From his vantage point. Yeah, and my recollection of that conversation was that it was like three sentences long. And while his update or clarification doesn't change my feelings or perspective at all, for journalistic integrity, I would like to correct it. So he says, I was never, and I'm quoting, I was never instructed or told not to talk to you any longer. The decision to part company uh, until the reasons I originally cited was mine and mine alone. So he says, he did meet with, however, it's totally accurate that you were a point of conversation and that the failure of restoration with the folks you mentioned spurned Stephen to talk with me and update me on his views. And the reason why this doesn't really impact me is because I actually kind of believe in ownership anyway. So even if someone says, well, so-and-so told me, I still believe it's your decision. It still had the end result of, okay, <clears throat> you're not talking to us because we're, we've done something bad. And their eyes. Um, yeah, so actually, like, nothing. That doesn't change anything for me. Um, oh, and the other thing I was going to say was there's certain talks with leadership where these guys are pretty smart. Like, they know how it sounds to say, I command you to not <laughs> talk to someone. <clears throat> that is, like, cult language. I strongly suggest... So instead, what I've noticed with a lot of these folks, Jeremy and Steven, and a lot of the leaders around here that we were exposed to, it's like... It's loaded language. Like, yeah. mm, this person's dangerous. This person is unwise. This person is going down the wrong track. And then it's kind of assumed, like, what people are going to do about it. And if you don't do it, that's when I think shit really starts to hit the fan. But as long as you kind of comply like Mark did, then everything's kind of hunky-dory. Yeah. Um, and, man, there was something else I was going to say. But I don't think it matters. <clears throat> oh. You know, the most... The craziest thing with a lot of this... Um, conversation that was happening around this time specifically with mark was we had close to a decade of pretty intense relationship and i don't want to undermine what was going on in his world because maybe he had access to all sorts of things i don't know but you know we had gone to now i think close to a year of counseling and so much had changed in our minds and our actions and although Mark did meet with Stephen, and I think David, the two leaders responsible for the process up until this point, um, after they met with them, no one asked us our opinion. Very similar yeah. to, you know how we said that Stephen interviewed these five families, and he came back with a verdict. There was no, like, point counterpoint, or no, like, hey, how does this sound? Or what have you been learning in therapy? Um, it was very much like... I trust your side of the story, and I don't care to get the other side of the story. Yeah, it was kind of like... felt. 
it was almost like the story didn't even matter in a way. Mm-hmm. Like at some point there was some sort of verdict cast that very similar to the US justice system. When someone's like declared guilty, you have a few outliers that might argue with that, but most of the world depends on that verdict. Yeah. And they just assume due process. They're like, oh, I'm sure whatever evidence you had, you presented. So we don't need to rehash it. I mean, I do that. I'm not saying that's a wrong thing. I'm just saying that's how it felt like when, when we started talking with people. But it's, it's one thing to do that with someone who you've never met and you don't have a relationship with. It's quite another thing to do that with someone you've had a relationship with for a decade. And now it's like, now I what? just like, I felt like I had more clout. collateral yeah, or clout or, you know, and in hindsight, it's a bit naive of me. But at the time I was like, oh, wow, like... And this is what I kind of want to tell people because I think my guess is there's probably people listening to this that are still in the church. And I'm like totally fine with that. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. happy if it's working for you. But like one of the things I want people to know is like no matter how much you've invested, you are one and a half seconds away from being uninvited and possibly not missed. And I want to be careful when I say that because I don't actually believe that about every relationship, but about the institution itself. Mm -hmm. And depending on how much identity these people take in being one with the institution, like actually being elders or actually being, Mm -hmm. you know, church members, like if you are deemed a threat and if these people just like we did prioritize church over everything, you can be out so quick. It makes... I'm sure it makes total sense in their minds to throw away that relationship for the sake of this, in their minds, greater good of the institution and staying within the tribe. Yeah. Or, and I don't even know where to go with this because, geez, to me it's almost a complete side topic, although it's been a huge theme of our lives. I I don't think I want to get into it today. But it's this theme that a lot of these people at this time believed that they were doing this for our good. For us. That's what they said. They said, we are doing this because we care about you, which the evidence is does not uh, bear that out for me. Mm-hmm. But even if it was for me, I think it's fairly safe to say it didn't work. <laughs> and the reason why this is really important is this has impacted a lot of our parenting methodology. Um, in using basically fear, control, or manipulation to get desired results. Not a fan mm-hmm. anymore. Used to be a fan, not a fan. And to let people have their own agency, like don't try to do things for my greater good if I'm not even asking for it, first of all. Second of all, do things for you. Like if you need to stay away from us for you, then own that. But it's this weird like parent-child relationship within the church that, oh, I know what's best for you. Because well, but I'm not a sinner. Let's get into it now. You, you are. are. <laughs> Sounds like we're in it now. <laughs> Yes. Okay, so I want to talk <clears throat> about my relationship with Colin, you know. Well, and there is just going to be this, like, let's get into it now because I think we're here. You know, one of the things I want to clarify with this podcast and our story and just our beliefs is – it's possible to hear this, I guess, as like, oh, there was all these accusations made that we hurt people, and we're denying it. We didn't hurt people. And we're saying, oh, you really hurt us. 
not true. That's yeah. not our side we, of the story. We didn't deny it. Our side of the story is there's a lot of people that were saying we hurt them. And we really wanted to know why. Because we wanted a deep understanding and healing. And we spent a lot of energy and time figuring it out. And we fundamentally disagreed about the reason why with the two or three people that were in charge of this process. The two or three people in charge to this day, as far as I know, can still blame solely me. Yes. Actually, they say not solely, but it's solely. Even if it's not you, because you had the leadership role, it needs to be you. They say the healing stems from my actions. Mm -hmm. And that part I actually might not disagree with. But we fundamentally believe the problem was not just us. The problem was systemic. And we participated in a system that the system itself created uh, problems. And we lived out the system as consistently as possible. And using that system, <clears throat> and this is where I want to be crystal clear, we really, really hurt a lot of people. No doubt about it. And this is why this apology letter that we sent was very sincere. We've made drastic changes because we believed it was so dangerous and we don't want to hurt people anymore. But we really disagreed about how deep the problem went. And what, what boggles my mind to this day, and this is what we talked about the last episode, the systemic problem that we identified was that we were involved in a power structure that created a hierarchy that said everyone ought to have someone over them in authority and under them in authority. And when, you, when we start doing that and really leveraging authority to convince people of our way, we have just never seen it work well in the long run. In the short run, it's great. Like when you're at war and you're like, soldier, when I say jump, jump, you know. That... Or with a three-year-old, maybe. But the people I know that treat their kids and they they um, they hold authority over their head when they're 10 and then they're 12 and then they're 19 and then they're 21, those kids don't want to be around their parents anymore. Yeah. And without realizing it, we were leveraging that type of authority because it's just what we believe the Bible said with all of these relationships. We were always trying to figure out, am I an authority over you or are you over us? And in some ways I didn't care. But in some ways, it was our job to care because, like, we believed it was, like, the biblical right way to live. Is if, I'm, if I have, like, spiritual children, so to speak, and pastors call it different language, they're like, oh, this is my flock, or I'm an elder. I mean, there's all sorts of different lingo, but at the end of the day, it's basically like someone underneath you. You better know who they are because you're responsible to protect them and guide them in, like, correct belief systems and all these things. And I think your personality naturally t t would take that to the nth degree. And so I think these relationships imploded a lot sooner than maybe other people's relationships maybe never implode, but they have these like dysfunctional ways of relating. Yeah. I was like, if this is true, fucking submit and I'm going to submit right. and let's all submit. I mean, and you, I should tell yeah. some other stories during this crazy time because the person who was teaching us the most of this stuff, by the way, was guess who Steven 
in his home crossroads church group thing. And in this time period, I mean, this is crazy now for me to say, but, you know, we were like practicing submission to the nth degree to a point where just one snapshot for like a year and a half, I was committed to following the speed limit for the first time in my life, like literally. Like I did not go 65, more than 65 in a 65 driving across the country. <laughs> and I mean, it seems silly. This is really annoying. It, <laughs> it is really annoying. But at that time, we were being pounded submission and we bought into it and we were teaching it and we were living it and we were yeah. submitting. Yeah. You know, and the government is something that you submit to and I was doing it. Right. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Uh. <laughs> now I go over that. Um, okay. So, yes, we did hurt people. And, you know, we're going to talk about that more. Um, but the beef that I have with our accusations, it's not that we hurt people. It's like how deep the problem went. Because when we started to go to counseling, I was getting so pumped because I was I felt like I was finally getting answers that made sense to me. And even though I wanted to believe the ones David and Steven were cramming down my throat, just because it would have been simpler. I mean, there was that one thing in their living room where they said, these are the five things we need you to do this because we want to be part of this process. These are my friends. That's how I saw them. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to like bail on their process. Them off or... Yeah. I wanted to say, just like we had been doing for the previous year to say, yes. I will agree and I will move forward. There just comes a point where it's actually intellectually dishonest to agree mm-hmm. with it. Um, so, geez, my brain is like scattered tonight. Um, oh, this is what I was going to say. So once we started to put these pieces together and to see like, you know, I don't think this was just us. I think this is part of this whole hierarchical power structure that we had bought into mm-hmm. then i had this amazing thought i was like oh my gosh i'm gonna go back and tell everyone and they're gonna be so glad to hear about this because they'll want to know why there's all these problems in their life and by the way we had started to see more and more problems that are like verbatim like what the same types of fallout that we had had in our community was happening in all of these leadership-based families. Yeah. Yeah, it was. So I'm like, these guys are going to be so excited to hear what I found (laughs) out from paying this fucking counselor $170 for 50 minutes of his time. (laughs) So we started to share, and guess what? No one wanted to hear any of it Mm-mm. no one no one cared that we were even going to counseling at that point it was just sort of like oh yeah you're at counseling oh wait why is this counselor getting in the way like you go away <laughs> it like ended up being like the worst thing for them yeah so to a point where you know i mean your brother like there was there was still dialogue and we had said hey we can talk we have this counselor that can act as an intermediary you know why don't you come we'll split the cost 
or maybe it was his idea. I don't know, but we, we agreed to this idea. So he came for the first session. I believe we had two sessions. I think so. I don't it was like kind of like one and a half because I think he yeah. should have played to one. But, but this counselor was like using language that was not this like biblical pride language, just using like common therapy behavior relationship type language. And after the second, I, I believe that second appointment was the last time I ever heard from your brother. Period. Ever. Mm. Cause I don't think he liked what he heard from the counselor. Mm-hmm. And that was like the dynamic we talked last week about how therapy saved our ass because it was like an outside voice. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where we could see like a lot of these spiritual messages, they thrive in closed environments, mm-hmm. but you take it outside and people are like, what the fuck? That's crazy. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I know now cause I'm outside of it. But when I was in it, Mm, it's really really tough yeah it's it was so normal yeah okay so a few other things just moving along the timeline we're still in 2017 the end of 2017 now mm-hmm. and we need to bring this up and this is going to be a major theme for today our family decided that we were going to move to Israel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wasn't that in 2016? I think it was. Yeah, that's probably true. But yeah, we were still on that train at this point. So we had been exposed to Israel teachings starting through Jeremy and then through a number of other folks. And Cincinnati was kind of a hotbed. There was like some ministries and some teachings and some ways of interpreting the Bible that I was really getting into. Yeah. I was too. And the gist of it was God made this promise to his people in the Old Testament. And the New Testament, by the way, is not a new promise. It's actually God keeping good on his old promise. But instead of just this being now a promise to a particular family, i.e. the Jews who have a certain DNA, He's now willing to graft new people, Gentiles, into that old promise. So you're like, holy shit, that's amazing. That's so cool. But a lot of the promises, if you read it, all revolve around the land, which is very specific. It's like the land of Israel, the promised land. And some of what we started to understand and believe and read in the Bible is that the actual geography, it's not random and it's not coincidental. It's actually important. And to understand how serious we take this, I think it's important to give a little bit of backstory to another big decision we made in our life, which was the decision to have a lot of kids. Because we believe the Bible said that children were a blessing. And everywhere we were hearing, basically kids are an expense, kids are a challenge, kids are a project, kids are a pain in the ass. And we fought that cultural belief with this biblical understanding that children are a blessing and if we see them as a blessing you would not say no to blessings so we're going to have as many kids as we can Mm -hmm. and we did yeah 
until like, I got a vasectomy. We rode that train for almost two decades. So then we start to hear that in the Bible, more than almost anything else is listed as a blessing is the land. And it kind of makes simple sense to us. If this is a blessing and if kids are a blessing, and they were actually for our life, they completely changed the way we saw the world. They made us, especially me, like softer. They probably made you harder, which is probably good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it completely changed our life. Um, So then I'm thinking, well, if if some of these promises about the land, if if it's half as true or one-tenth as true as the children thing, I'm totally willing to put all my eggs in that basket and we'll move to Israel, which you, we can't by the way, because we're not Jewish, but we could like through immigration, totally hack it and live in a cardboard box if we have to. So just to put a little context to this, I mean, and people who have watched our vlogs have seen bits and pieces of this. We were taking Hebrew lessons, what, five days a week? Mm, spending a crap ton of money and time to learn a foreign language like and we didn't tell anyone why like on the (laughs) on the vlog but this was all to go to israel Mm -hmm. okay now i'm just telling all the story for two reasons one is i think it's easy for people this pisses me off by the way it's easy for people to look at our story and be like oh you guys got your asses kicked so you experienced some pain so now you turned your back on god mm-hmm and I'm like, fuck you. How'd you know? I was going to say that. I feel it too. Yeah. I mean, with all respect. <laughs> well, all due respect. Fuck, fuck you. you. <laughs> um, just because that's not our story. Yeah, I mean, that could be someone's story. I don't knock them if it is. But Sure. That, but our response to this was not, oh, the Bible must be wrong and God must be wrong. Our response was, these people clearly are not following the Bible. Their fucking accusations are all over the place. It doesn't make sense. A lot of this is being done in secret and not publicly. So I was like totally able to like just see kind of through it. it t- I mean, it took me a hell of a long time, too long. But once we were able to see through it, my first response was not God turned his back on me and the Bible must be false and all my religion is falling apart. In fact, you could say it was like the opposite. I doubled down. Mm-hmm. We we're willing to move our family across the country and even now we're starting to prep for the at and i started thinking of the at as the training ground for israel meaning like the at was going to be the easy part (laughs) moving to the fucking middle east (laughs) without a way to actually live there and throw Mm -hmm. away all of our financial everything that we had built in america that's what we were prepared to do still right so we we went on a scouting trip um which was like a tour and it was a really cool tour. And we took Dove and Eden because we were planning on moving there and then tr- they hated it. So we were trying to get them to fall in love with it. And then we meet up with this guy, Steve, who's like a Christian in Jerusalem, who also knows Jeremy. And I'm like super on the down though. I'm like, Steve, uh, we have some things we wanna talk to you about, but we can only talk to you about them if it's gonna remain confidential, like wink, wink, nod, nod. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Everything's cool. And then, like, all I know is that in November of 2017, I got a message from Steve saying, oh, hey, I talked to Jeremy. And Jeremy warned us about you. (laughs) So now, like, and I'm just trying to paint a picture of, like, where my mind started going. Not only were our jobs not safe, because I had sold a business, 
all of our relationships that we had moved here from were from the church. But now even our only help and possibility for moving across the world was now being sabotaged proactively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I got paranoid. Yeah, same. I mean, I was like, we can't. And by the way, we're vlogging our life <laughs> five days a week, oh, like yeah. with our deepest, darkest secrets online. Right. But we're now having to live this crazy double, triple security life to be like, our kids can't say anything. My sister, we have to, we have to be careful who we tell because if any word gets back to Jeremy, he'll, we're fucked. Yeah. He had so much control. And yep. influence. At the time. At the, maybe still, I don't know. I mean, well, with yeah, us yeah. at the time. Um, and, by the way, everything with Stephen and David was actually still technically cool. Like, we had heard from Mark that thing, but they had said, hey, high five. Um, you guys go to Dr. Thompson, and we trust that process and we're fine to step out of it and there was no like warnings no threats we weren't told of any accusations or anything further in fact we told you guys last week Stephen gave all of his notes that the families had told him to our therapist so that he could work Mm -hmm. through that with us yeah um and then in november and we have to keep this this is very mysterious, but we have to keep this um, source private. Mm-hmm. Um, we heard that Stephen sent out an email. Probably several months back, actually. Yeah, but this is just when we heard yeah, about it. Yeah, but we heard about it now. Yeah. Because someone who was close to us said, hey, someone talked to me and read this email to me, and it warns people from hanging out with you. And it tells them not to tell you about this email, that this email actually exists. Yeah. So now, I mean, as if we weren't already paranoid, now we have no idea who's got this email, who hasn't, or what it says. Right. And this is all right before we're like preparing for the Appalachian Trail. We hear about this, and yeah, more crazy shit. So then there's this whole conversation with your brother. Yeah. Starting December 22nd, three days before Christmas. Yeah, I sent, I initiated a conversation with him. I sent an email stating a few things that he did to our family that I thought were really wrong and really sucky. And he... Why don't you say what those are? Because it's Yeah, well, what we just talked about with sabotaging our Israel connection, um, sabotaging the podcast thing, uh, potential job with Tim, um... Even just how I think he ambushed you with the whole pride thing, how you you went in there thinking it was just going to be you and him talking about your personal differences, and it was actually you were on fucking trial, and you had no idea that that was going to happen. 
Um, I think those were the three main things. Yeah, and I said, like, I don't think it's okay that these things happen. Um, and then... And I would say that both now in therapy language, like, that's just not cool to talk shit about people behind their back. Yeah. Or family members. And also, biblically, it actually subverts all the biblical processes that we were claiming to go through at that time. Mm. Right. Yeah, he was, like, taking manners in his own hands or whatever. Um, so then he responded back with something around the effect of, I think it would be good for us to take a break from each other for a year. And I sent an email response back saying, if you need a break, that's fine. But I don't. And maybe a few other things. And then the next email I got was supercharged. Like, I can't believe you talked to me when I just told you not to talk no, to me. You, you got to say the words because it was like, a okay, man. yeah, yeah. It, so, yeah, it was said, wow, unbelievable that I would respond to clarify that I don't need that boundary, that, but you can have the boundary if you want. We're not agreeing to this together, but if you right. declare it, we'll follow it. Because he was just saying... He was lumping me in with him, and I was like, hold on. Like, I don't need that year break, but if you do, so that was all I was trying to do is just clarify that. And I think I, you know, probably said some other like things. And, anyways, that, um, so then after that, I did respect what I thought was his boundary of not talking to him for a year. I didn't talk to him for a year. Which is kind of weird because I wasn't, it's not like I was talking to him a whole lot anyways. And by a whole lot, you mean? In the counseling office, <laughs> one and a half times under heated like discussion was like, yeah, was like the only. Yeah. I mean, so you had talked to him. We had talked to him three times in a year or two or three. Yeah. You know? Very scant. So to say that he yeah. needs a break, it's like, I mean, the dude's entitled to do whatever the hell he wants. Yeah. But it I wasn't I wasn't knocking down his door. <laughs> no. I was this was like an email after uh you know, after going through all the stuff we went through that whole year. Um I'm finally speaking up. <laughs> Anyways. So um So then the next thing that happened is So then um you know, this is, well, I'm trying to, okay, I'm just going to get into this. Um, this was really hard, this time period. Yeah. Um, we didn't know who had got this letter. We didn't know who to trust. But we assumed that all of our friends got it because they were all kind of like in this spiritual community and jeremy was kind of like the godfather oh my god he would love that being called that <laughs> that's totally his fucking hero anyways but um jeremy owned the business majority of the business that employed a lot of these people epiphio he was like his fingerprints were everywhere <clears throat> and then like just these 
crazy relational things started to happen. So Sunny moved out, which like was not a surprise. But when they moved out, moved out from our street, they, you know, because we had said we're not hosting anymore. Yeah. And we're trying to give people space. We had sent them this apology letter. We never heard back about that. And they move and they move without saying goodbye or asking for help. And they live three doors down. <laughs> and these are people that we had rented our house to for three doors down four for years. four years. We had bought the house so they could live there. And I'm going to tell you my side because it's important. But, you know, this is not no enforcement to do this. I did this. You know, we gave them discounted rent. One month out of the year, we gave them no rent. Um, we were hosting them sometimes you know, I don't know, more than, I'll bet, five times a week. Mm -hmm. And when they moved out, they didn't say goodbye. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, we, like, are sitting in our house, and we're watching them move their stuff, like, in f through our front window. And then Lucas, uh, another friend of mine that I had met with consistently for, I don't know how many years, at five or six in the morning, and he lived two doors down for maybe two years yeah. as a birthday present or christmas present i forget what but i bought him a guitar i think it was a three or four or five thousand dollar guitar like, I, I don't remember like five years back or something yeah and all of a sudden this is before sunny moved he brings the guitar back to me and says oh this is from lucas like sunny does sunny does. right yeah because they both still worked at epiphio so lucas gave it to sunny to give to me and I forget if there was a note. I don't think there was. I think Sonny just said, Lucas is giving this back to you. I thought he said a reason was he doesn't play guitar very much. So Oh, yeah, maybe. Something <laughs> like that. Um, so, you know, and then, like, we're not invited to things anymore. Like, um, other things, like, I mean, then we start to hear about like weird family things. Like, so this is, this has to come out. Uh, your brother's ministry is called what? Family teams. Mm -hmm. So he like owns the market in the Cincinnati area on teaching people how to live with biblical family something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's like weird because this is the guy that has like mentored us on how to live family. And now they've cut out his sister. They've cut out his brother-in-law, me. I hear that his kids, or at least one of his kids, like now declares that I'm no longer the uncle. So I've been like basically disowned mm -hmm. by the family that's teaching more people in the area about biblical family than anywhere than anyone else. Mm -hmm. It was really hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was very lonely time yeah i mean we went to i just remember us going to therapy and therapy was like a lifeline because for one hour i started doing hour and a half sessions just because we didn't have to drive as much mm -hmm. for one and a half hours i would not feel crazy mm -hmm. and then we'd schedule the next one for two <laughs> weeks out and then we'd show up and not feel crazy. But in the meantime... Well, this was a period of time where we had a huge vacuum in our life. Um, and we just didn't know what life would look like. I mean, we knew what life looked like with friends and community and church. And now there was hardly... Any, there was no community, no church, uh, 
and maybe a couple of friends, but it was like so, even that was just so like, felt really fragile to me. Um, so yeah, it was a really lonely time. Um, but also I think really serendipitous that we ended up going on the Appalachian Trail at this point and maybe we're not there yet. I don't know what your timeline is. But. Well, let's go there except for we have one little pause before that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I want to say two other things before we get there briefly. One is that as soon as we started to get out, our little radar started to go up somehow. And I don't know how this shit works except for we started to hear stories about other people that had also been kind of cast away. Mm. Specifically, people that were in these families, specifically Jeremy, and there's this other person named Stephen, not Stephen Manuel, although I would say Stephen Manuel also. And then there's this other Stephen who I was business partners with these people, like, you know how I said I went to them because I was like, oh my gosh, you guys are going to be so excited to hear this. We now started to get word of all these f- families that had been discipled by them and had been like, I don't know how to describe it, except for they were like cast out and mm-hmm. totally burned out and hurt and had been like left and abandoned. They started to hear about our story and they started to come to us and start sharing their stories. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh my gosh, this is going on everywhere. And not only is it going on everywhere, it's going on with the people that are accusing us of doing this. Yeah. That's what was so weird. We didn't even like go looking for it, but I was just like, it was like, it was like ironic, except for it wasn't. Well, I just think it proves our belief in that this way of relating to people is not functional, it's not sustainable. Um, it's not good for people. <laughs> yeah. Second of all, we were so excited about this counseling that we started to pay, like put a significant amount of money into a fund to pay for any of our friends that wanted to go. We started paying for family members, um, other friends in our community. Cause we were, we were saying like, okay, we're not going to uh, disciple or mentor anyone right now. But we were so excited about what we were learning in counseling that we were like, we'll pay for your first five appointments. And numerous people, we said that. Mm-hmm. And people took us up on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then comes um, the Appalachian Trail. We had been yeah. planning this for, fuck, I guess you could say 17 years. I should say at this point, my parents um, lived in the area, but a good 30 minutes away from us. My brother and his family live only three miles from us. So around this period of time, my parents moved from their house onto my brother's property, uh, which I think is going to be significant later. But so now they're all, now my, my family's all three miles away from me. (laughs) Well, do you want to talk about why that's significant now? Um, I mean, what did that do to your relationship with your parents? And I mean, well, at at that point, uh, okay. Yeah. I guess it, it made it harder for me to 
hang out with them. It was never, I mean, my relationship with them was already strained, but it made it even harder because they were on Jeremy's property, my brother's property. And all this, I mean, he didn't even want me to contact him for a year. So it was just like super weird. And plus we don't know what they know. So like Jeremy is so political and savvy that whatever he's saying, he said, you know, the reason why my last year at Epiphio, I would not have a meeting with him one-on-one was because I did not trust that what he said to me was the same of what he said to the other people in the room. So like, you know, I know it was addressed with your parents, but I also know it was not like our version of the story. Yeah, <clears throat> most likely not. Um, so, okay, we're set to leave um, this is for March, March, March 1st, 1st, 2018. For the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. Now, I had started Epiphio, was that 2012? Uh, you mean living here? No. Started. The actual, oh, was it 2010? Oh, yeah. I was like nine. Nine. Okay, so 10 years earlier, I had started this multimedia company named Epiphio with four people. Me, John, Stephen, and Jeremy. Total incestuous <laughs> fuck of Jeremy was discipleship partners with Steven. Jeremy had discipled me and John. So it was all like, which back then was our dream, right? It was like, oh, we're ministry and family and business. Like, what could be better? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, so John had already sold his shares. He was gone. And I'll share this because this is important for me to the story. When John left, I was the only person in the boardroom fighting for his valuation to be as high as it was Hmm. because I felt like he was being taken advantage of. And Hmm. previous to this, now he's also told me because of his conversation with Colin, not what he's heard from me, but what he's talked to with Colin, that he won't talk to me anymore. Um, Which actually since he's apologized for, so I don't want to throw him under the bus but I want to that was I mean I was just like holy fuck we're like I've gone about with you in so many ways and I'm not trying to make it sound one way but I thought we were friends yeah and now you had a conversation and now we're done well again he wasn't he wasn't interested in your side just like Mark wasn't interested in your side so February 23rd seven days before we're ready to leave for the AT I get an email from a lawyer that tells me that Facebook, or no, I say Facebook because it feels like the Facebook movie, <laughs> um, that tells me that because enough, the board has done enough, I've stepped off the board because I couldn't handle it anymore, um, but because there have been enough shares appointed to Jeremy, they have enough of a majority to change the bylaws. And the bylaws are now going to read something like, and I'm not quoting this shit, this paperwork gives me a headache, but it was something along the lines of, now any person that is no longer employed at Epiphio, which was only me, can have their shares bought at any time for a price that Epiphio agrees to. Epiphio meaning Jeremy. And- yeah. Basically. So basically, they could buy me out at any time for close to any price that they can justify the price. I get this notice 
seven days before I'm leaving on the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. Cannot be a coincidence. And this is a business that was our primary source of income. Now it was really close to our only source of income because we had lost our blackjack business, also related to this. It's something that numerous times, I cannot even tell you the number of retreats we did and Steven and Jeremy telling me, hey brother, we love you, we wanna do business. And investors, if you own this, you get, you get to hang out forever. Uh, like we just wanna be owners, like owners shouldn't have to have responsibility in the business or do anything. I mean, I, I heard this bullshit for years about how loyal uh, they were gonna be and how safe my shares were based upon their plan with their own shares. Well, I guess things have a way of changing because- Or they never were true. Yeah. One week before the Appalachian Trail, I am scrambling to find lawyers. Right. To just not get To save our ass because we needed to fucking save our ass. And I had already given away the one business. Like for name your own price. You're like, I'm not letting this happen again. So I'm like not getting (laughs) fucked twice without lube. Like (laughs) yeah, once. Definitely. I was still sore. (laughs) Um, Yep. So yeah. So and I settled like two days before. Um. And I'm not allowed to say the price because they had me sign all this paperwork and I fought for that even. I was like, I don't want to keep this confidential. Like, nope, you can't say the price. But they made me sign paperwork. like the one hill they were going to die on. They had all these bullshit reasons for like competitive advantage or some bullshit. But, you know, so I'm not allowed to say the price. So there you go. <laughs> but I sold it. Um, and I had no plans of selling it. Did not want to sell it. <clears throat> Well, um, I wanted to sell it. I yeah, wanted well, to get under the clutches of Jeremy. Get off from under. Now the I'm glad it's gone. Yeah. Um, but that is not yeah, the way that I would have sold it. Not yeah. We we felt we felt like we didn't have a say in it. We felt like our hand was forced. And one fucking week before we take our family on the biggest trip of our lifetime. So this whole time. Um, we're also like not telling anyone about this. I mean, yeah, not really. It was hard. Someone called it Stockholm syndrome, and I, I think there's a degree of that where there's get this desire to protect your oppressors, but or you're scared. Yeah, I don't know what it was, but I was just like, I was so used to these people being friends and family. I felt this sense of loyalty to just like. And I guess I still wasn't super confident because I was just like, I don't want to talk shit. So, mm-hmm. but we had fewer and fewer, like our friends were dwindling to a point where they were almost non-existent. And then I felt like I couldn't even talk to those people because I didn't want to make these other people look bad. It was just like embarrassing for me to tell the story about what these, how we had been treated. Mm-hmm. Not- I think we maybe found a few people completely outside of it. And those, that felt the most safe for us, but... Well, like, yeah, I have this Tuesday night group where, like, for five years, I'd smoke cigars and drink bourbon every Tuesday night with a group. And I'll never forget one of the guys. His name was Daniel. And he had met with Steven. And he came to me this, it was December. And he was just pleading with me. 
who was like, please do whatever they say. Please, like, you can fix these relationships. And by then, I was, like, so over that idea. I mean, like, we had already mm-hmm. started hearing stories of other people. I was like, man, this is going deeper than you know. Like, you don't know what you're asking me to do. He was just like, please. And I was like, I can't. And he's like, well, I can't come to this. I can't meet with you anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was so weird because I was like, you don't know the story, one. And then, two, this whole idea of boycotting someone until they change so strange and is very manipulative very not honest in my opinion it's like if you don't want to hang out with someone then just don't hang out with them but i I guess it is honest maybe i'll take that back i guess there's just saying oh it's so that you you i would say it's ineffective (laughs) you know at least he i think he was one of the few people that were honest with me yeah um but at the same on the same table is another guy named Tim who's been a dear friend of ours that lives in Bellevue. And I'll never forget this because finally, 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 I come out to these Tuesday night guys. And I'm like, you guys, I just have to tell you what's been going on with our life for the last couple of years. Because they noticed, like mm-hmm. Lucas and Sonny stopped showing up. This is a different Tim, by the way, from yeah. the podcast. So finally I'm like, you know, I gotta tell you what's going on with me because um I just feel like it's costing us our relationship if I don't, there's this giant elephant in the room, you know, Mm -hmm. but I didn't want to make any of these people look bad. Finally, I'm just like, you know, this is what's going down. And I'll never forget Tim's response. Tim, very exuberantly, because I'm telling him about this email that went out and all these warnings. He's like, well, they never fucking warned me. (laughs) And you know what he was saying? Tim is Catholic. So he was outside of this. Mm Mm-hmm. He was outside of these power structures. And his point wasn't that he wanted to be warned. Mm-hmm. His point was, take a look at who is being warned. Because we were also talking about, you know, they started sharing stories about, oh, my wife has been contacted you Other know, by this person. people, yeah, were saying that. Yeah, in, our, in my Tuesday night group. And they're like, oh, yeah, we've been warned. This has been warned. And Tim's like, well, I wasn't fucking warned. And Tim was like, pay attention to who's being warned here. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't have to do with who's actually supposedly in danger. It has to do with who can be brought in line within the power structure. Because okay. if I really was dangerous, if I'm really like a bad, dangerous guy. Then you call the police or something. You call the police or you publish a blog post and say, this guy is dangerous. Right. He's done these things. Watch the hell out. You broadcast it to everyone. Yeah, you could buy the URL, benisanarcissist.com right yeah. now. Or benhasshepherdingoutages.com <laughs> right now. All six of them. But these people know, like Jeremy and Steven, they know that that's, that fucking stuff doesn't fly in the real world. It's only in this like evangelical bubble. Which shows like what the warning is actually delivered for. The warning isn't actually for the safety of the participants. It's actually saying this is no longer a trusted leader. Mm-hmm. I am. Yeah. Get in line. Right. Okay. So then we go on the AT. Yeah, wow. I went into the AT, I would say this, I'd say I'm walking off my family. Because <laughs> at that point, I had had run-ins with my sister uh, as well. Uh, I have one sister and one brother, both older than me. And things with my parents weren't super hunky-dory either. So it was just like, 
my family, my relationship with my family was completely falling apart. And to provide a little context, Earl Schaefer. Shoot, am I going to get these names right? <laughs> Earl Schaefer was the first person to hike the AT. And when the, he asked, they asked why he was doing it, he said he was walking off the war. Mm-hmm. And we had heard that. Yeah. People, oh, right. People right. do the AT to walk off the war. So then Whatever when you say, that may be. walk off your family. My family's my fucking war. <laughs> it was kind of a detox time for you. Yeah, and just therapy. I feel like it was therapeutic um, just to get away from it all um, and to do something hard, get your mind off of it in a sense. Although in another sense, you're thinking a lot because you're just hiking all fucking day. (laughs) But I feel like it was a really important time period for, for us and our family to do this trip. Um, but it was, it was weird not being, for me, not being in contact with my family hardly at all and doing this huge thing called the AT because, I mean, your, your parents met us like three separate times on the trail, which is, wasn't easy to do, but they like figured out how to do it and they like try to support us. But like, yeah, as far as I know, your family like never really said goodbye. No. I mean, and like I said, this is funny because they live three miles away. <clears throat> yeah um right and then like i guess we came back for the marathon and then did i contact them and just say hey we're in town for a marathon i think i let oh, them know Oh yeah i think maybe so you did. there was a lunch there but then we like finished and it was like you know we set the record for the largest family to ever hike the at mm-hmm. and to this day we've never heard about it mentioned from i guess you talked with your parents at one point and said hey we did this hike i think my dad was impressed or something um, I guess I'll just say my side. I've never heard from your family about that. Mm, uh, yeah. It's like it doesn't even exist. Um, yeah. As far as I'm concerned with them. Yeah. And it was pretty minimal on my side, too. So we went straight from the Appalachian Trail, and that was like a whole series of our life, but not to go down too many rabbit trails. <laughs> and we we finished the Appalachian Trail. The whole incentive was to go to Lakeside Bible Camp, the camp that we had met at. Oh, Yeah in august and we went there and we cooked and this is not this is in 2018 okay so it's funny how much changed in 2018 2019 2018 i think i still believed it was a sin to be gay oh yeah i think i did too and we we had a hiking friend of ours who she was uh she's bisexual and I remember just like I really liked her a lot and I just remember wrestling with that day in day out as I was hiking I was just like okay so Christians are called to love people right how is it loving to her to like think that what she's doing is or who she is as a person is like inherently wrong and I just was really like wrestling with it and not me I was at that point. I, I wasn't at the point where I'm at now, but I that was like th- the beginnings um, for me. And oh man, I, and then at that point we stopped. Well, at some point when we came back from the AT, we decided I don't think we're moving to Israel, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, so like, we mm-hmm. have to kind of like cut things off here. Okay. 
because chronologically we're picking up in two weeks with where we ended up here which yeah i want to like kind of share our story and then the the last episode minus q and a's and we'll get to that in a little bit is going to mm-hmm. be about what we currently believe and how we got to that mm-hmm. but yeah. i'm still kind of like closing this old chapter is the way mm-hmm. i see it today yeah and as far as i'm concerned i believed i believed everything still I mean, we were still going to Israel. Even even when we finished the AT, we were still telling people that we're going to, we were talking about reducing the time. We we're going to hike the Israel Trail. That's right. You know, and we were still right. going. And we yeah. were kind of squirming a little bit with our commitment. Yeah. And I have a leg, a tattoo on my leg that's eight inches tall dedicated to moving to Israel, <laughs> by the way, that I got this time. Well, period. I have a tattoo too of my tree. Yeah. But, so. So, so if you're going to get a tattoo that you're going to say you regret, it's not going to be worse than our regret. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I um, don't regret it, but. And, um, man, I still have a few things to say, but I think we have to finish this up in the next 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will say this. I think right after coming back, from the AT, I had another call with John, the other Epiphio founder. And it was so strange to me because he was calling to like check in. And I could tell that he didn't feel right about um, cutting me off for a year or something. So he was wrestling with that. And this is the guy who I kind of like helped negotiate his shares, which I don't even know if he knows about because it don't know if I told him, but it was like done in the boardroom with him not there. Um, and then he went on to start this large <clears throat> internet channel that deals with Bible education. And I had like financially supported him there because I really wanted to support what he was doing and I was excited about it. And I remember this one phone call in particular where he calls me and he's like, kind of like asking us like what we're up to and trying to figure out if we've changed, I think, or something. But I just remember thinking like the questions he's asking. So he's like asking why we're vlogging. And I was like, oh, I'm being like quizzed to see if I'm still prideful. Because he was like, oh, it seems weird. Like you just went and got this following after you had that other following and stuff like that. And it was it was so weird for me. Like the best way to explain it was I felt like I was in a football game. And then I stopped playing and I walked away for a year. And then someone came up to me and said, you're not allowed to run with the ball that way. And I'm like, I'm not playing football. Mm-hmm. And like, well, no, you're going past the line of scrimmage. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. That's the football I've field. the game. It's over there. I'm not playing. <laughs> and he's like, well, yeah, but you can't, you have to say hut, hut, hike. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, like I'm not playing at all. <laughs> I'm saying, fuck you. And... It was just so bizarre. And that's when I, where I saw with the AT, like how far we had come. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I used to be in that game. A feeling like I had to prove to people my motive and why I was doing things. And like, hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, so I want to share um, my takeaway from this. Because this was the most exciting thing for me was in this year that we were out with no friends 
or at least not knowing who our friends were. I mean, I, I could really, you know, we could ham it up and have you guys all feel sorry for us, but it's not the point. But actually, for the first time, I was able to look at people from previous years who had been kicked out while I was in mm-hmm. that I didn't really give two shits about. Or you, and you, or I would looked at them and was like, judge them. Yes. I was like, oh, huh. Look who can't, look who's not submitting or whatever. Right. I mean, who knows? Look who can't get their life together. Yeah. And I was able to see these people for the first time and I started to wonder, I wonder if the story's different. <clears throat> so a hmm. few of these people I want to mention are just stories. One is my brother. My brother stopped talking to me four years ago, five years ago, six five years ago. Five or six, yeah. And, you know, it was really hurtful at first, but I kind of had like this feeling in my gut. My brother like stopped going to church 15 years ago. But we didn't. I mean, we were more religious than ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I always try to figure out, like, oh, was it something I said? Like, because he never told me when he stopped talking to me. But I actually know why now. Mm. It's because we were religious assholes and we looked down upon him. Yeah, for sure. It's the same reason why I don't want to hang out with your family now. Not that they want to hang out with me, but, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, because I just don't want to be a I, – I can't really – it hurts to be around it when you know people are just looking down on you. Yeah, it's a toxic environment. So I me. started to understand my brother's point of view for the first time. Hmm. Um, we thought about this meeting in the attic. I don't know if you want to share about that. I With Haley. Don't remember. Go ahead. I don't know what you're going to share. Okay, well, you had met with this girl that was living with us that we were discipling her name was Haley and had like practiced this like spiritual essentially like an exorcism or declaring that these things that she had were like demonic or these like beliefs we thought were like satanic or not biblical or not of God Mm -hmm. and it's funny because in the letter that we actually heard back from them, like for the apology letter. Just from, not her, but from, from her husband. Wes, yeah. Saying kind of like what you guys did was messed up. I mean, it didn't really, it didn't provide much avenue for restoration because they said, don't write back to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but one of the most painful things I think in the letter they said was this meeting that you had in the attic, mm-hmm. which now we would totally... So I don't even remember, by the way. Crystal was there. I thought that was Caitlin, not Haley. Oh, you know what? I'm getting these stories yeah. all fucking messed up. But we That's did, why we're jacking. Well, what I can say, we did say certain things, not directly to Haley, but maybe to someone else about like, oh, she seems a little off is, yeah. and joking about it being demon possession or whatever. Okay, I'm convoluting two stories. Yeah. But actually both of them are in the, the same vein. Yeah. Where we could see these things that we absolutely would not do anymore. Right. We were sorry for the damage it caused. But the irony, we were being actively trained to do those things by Stephen Manuel at the time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I'm not saying that to take 
our responsibility off. Yeah. I'm just like, it's ironic that the person prosecuting us. Yeah. For doing, hurting people. Or the person meeting with these families. So meeting with Wes and Haley to try to be like, so how did the Crawfords hurt you? Yeah. Like part in part, it was because of him. <laughs> like the trickle down effect. I thought back to the Bible camp of, there was one story in particular that was, you know, he was like the troubled kid and he was like the son of the director of the whole camp and, you know, was always cast as the black sheep and, Mm -hmm. you know, for smoking pot and listening to rock music and, you know, eventually became an addict and eventually committed suicide. Mm -hmm. And the story that was told about him both during and after the fact and how fucking convoluted and twisted it was, like the PR moves done. Mm -hmm. And now I was thinking back and I was like, what really happened? Mm -hmm. And then there is a story of your brother-in-law, you know, like brother-in-laws have not done well in your family. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how he was treated by your sister and their family. And I remember the phone call when your brother threatened that if, I wouldn't talk to Nathan anymore, your bro- my ex-brother-in-law. If I talked to him again, I would be cut out of... The family. The family. So not knowing any better... Well, I'm not going to fucking justify myself, but I was just a chicken or something. But I did it. I cut him out. Yeah, and you were 25. I mean... <laughs> And Jeremy was 30, you know. Whatever, like, I did it. So, yeah. I mean, I apologize. did it. I, we, we, one of the coolest things, you guys, was, was being able to see how there was another side to this reality of all these people um, and to be able to go back and to make some of these things right. But even, I mean, some of it was, like, too too far gone to make right, like, as, like we're not going to be best buds of these people. But now it has given us an angle of sympathy and empathy and an openness to when I hear about the outcast, mm-hmm. which I was always drawn to the outcast. Cause even that camp story, I was interviewing his widow mm-hmm. years after the fact, just because I was like, something doesn't feel right to me. Yeah. Like when people are treated at Bible camp this way, like mm-hmm. I was always drawn to like the black sheep and being like, because, you know, you can only scapegoat them so much, but... Right. Um, All right. Do we wrap that one up? Yeah. No. I still want to talk. <laughs> okay. Talked about that. Talked about that. Talked about that. Um, I do want to... There's this... We just have this thing to talk about because it bugs me. People are still going to say but that we're done with Christianity because it got hard. You know, in this time period, um, we gave away a house that's valued at, let's just say, $600,000 mm-hmm. because we believe God told us to. Mm-hmm. We were ready to move to Israel because we believed God told us to. We go on and on. We yeah. practice six months of abstinence in our marriage sexually mm-hmm. because we believed God told us to. Like, I wasn't the type of person that was like, oh, that's hard. 
let's go take the easy way out when it comes to what I thought God was saying. Mm -hmm. I was like, God's going to ask for my life. I already gave it to him. I was going to die in Africa. So if he asked for a fucking house, are you kidding me? $600,000? Who cares? <laughs> Sign the check already. And we did it. So if you're going to tell our story or quote us or reference us, please don't do it by thinking that at least we were taking the easy about. There is nothing easy about this. And through all of this, I think my faith was, I don't even want to say 99% intact because I would just say it was 100. I wasn't, I didn't doubt anything. What do you mean by that? Like, because I mean, faith can be a lot of different things. The, how I defined faith at that time, at least. Okay. But I would say I wasn't doubting God's goodness. I wasn't doubting the Bible. Mm. I wasn't doubting even that church was possible. I just became highly skeptical because I could see, like, oh, what most of these people are in churches for is actually to satisfy power structure needs. Yeah. Whether they realize it or not. But I do think at least for me, I realized so much of my faith was on a foundation of these power structures. So that's what I felt like something needed to like give um, because I realized, oh wow, how much of what I believe is kind of not right because it's if I don't believe in these power structures and so much of it was made uh, on these power structures. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where it eventually led. Yeah, okay. But I don't I don't remember you questioning stuff at this point. And this is, are we talking about 2018? 2018. Oh, this I is think, where we got in. I think I was starting to right, at that well. point, but. Okay, then this is our, <laughs> what a fun thing to drop off with. Okay, so then mm -hmm. 2019 comes along. And guess what? January 2019. Guess what? The year is over. Jeremy's year of banning you and me was, is done. We can talk. It was me. You were already banned. For not officially. Definitely. Oh, no. yeah, okay. That's the thing. Okay. No yeah, one not, had ever not told officially. me anything to my face to this day. Yeah. With this one exception of, and this is why I was banned. Um, mm -hmm. So Jeremy sends you a letter, mm -hmm. and in it there's paragraph one, two, three, four, and I will read paragraph four with your permission. Go for it. It's typed out. So this is the first time um, after hearing from Jeremy for a year, you've, you've gone on the 18 and been back. Mm -hmm. So I, this is probably also his congratulations letter to you, I'm assuming, although he doesn't say it. <laughs> Just reading between the lines here a little bit. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> And it says, I plan to continue to obey 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9, which describes men like Ben and commands all believers to, quote, avoid such men, unquote. I do pray for Ben and grieve the loss of our friendship and hold out hope that someday he can repent and find healing. So then I was like, what does 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9 say? That's the verse that he quotes here because he's saying, I can I plan to continue to obey 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9, which describes men like Ben. <clears throat> this is 2 Timothy 
3, 1 through 9. You want to read it? <laughs> sure. Right there. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as uh, they are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Amen. Damn. So the crazy thing is, when I heard this, it was such a relief. Mm. One, <clears throat> to actually have formal charges brought against me. Because the only thing I had heard up until this point was a year and a half earlier when Stephen and David read to me these five weird random things. These are weird too, but okay. These are definitely weird. <laughs> but I was like, okay, it's not... Because I, I kept on wondering... Did I do something wrong like, that was I there... can't figure out or do, that yeah. I don't know about? Yeah. And then when I saw, oh, okay, it's the same old, same old, which just to summarize. You're just a shitty person. Is it? Yeah. It's like <laughs> basically, when you accuse people of vague things like pride, and to this day, I'm still trying to think, but I do not think I've gotten an example by anyone of a way that I've actually hurt them. And I'm sure there's ways. Mm-hmm. I'm just telling you in this process, no one's come to me and said, hey, Ben, when you said this thing to me, it really hurt me. Mm-hmm. Like no one said anything like that right. of these people. So then to finally see this, it was such a relief because I was like, oh. And because we stopped believing this was true, I'm like, this relationship is not going to move forward because I can't submit to that. And you haven't changed. So I think I stopped blaming myself at this point and just to be like, you mm-hmm. guys are actually crazy fundamentalists. Oh, yeah. Which I never had put myself in that category before. Yeah. It was a hard pill to swallow for sure to be like, we were crazy fundamentalists. <laughs> well, I'm still trying to figure out if I'm that gullible woman. <laughs> Tune in next week. Okay. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Um, mm-hmm. few announcements. Um, we Next week, we are doing a Q&A of our story to this point okay right that's important i don't want you asking stories about the future so no like what do you believe now we're going to get to that in the next episode after the q a yeah and then we'll have another q a about that just keep it with the podcast that we've already aired right now episodes one through seven do you have any questions or comments that you would like us to read on the air the next episode will be 100 percent dedicated to your feedback because there's been so much of it it's been so interesting and helpful that i want to include it yeah for sure so there's two ways to leave it one is as a comment on this youtube video episode seven the second way is i'm starting a private facebook discussion group specifically for everyone belongs i have one for fight for together that's not getting a lot of action but 
as I've seen the range of people that have contacted me, I'm like, whoa, this is really important that there's a place where you guys know you're not alone. Because I get people telling me all the time, like, oh my gosh, you're saying this and I didn't know I was not alone. And then someone else is saying that. And I know I know that they know each other, but I'm like, well, I don't know if you guys know that you're both being treated this way or feel this way. Mm-hmm. So I want a place where people can meet other folks and talk about this kind of stuff. It's a private Facebook group. There is a question you're going to have to answer to be on it. You're going to have to answer it honestly. It's only for screening purposes just so I can, you know, if if you are going to be a motherfucker and lie about it, then that's on you. But I don't want any sneaky, you know, I mean, you've seen what's happened to us in our story, so I don't need to tell you anymore. But you can ask the questions there this week or you can ask them on YouTube. And I, I hope that you do that. And then please, like, vote up the ones that you would most like to see answered. Mm-hmm. Cool. Looking forward to As of that. now, we're not moving to Israel. <laughs> we're staying in Bellevue. Yeah. Okay. Jeez, wow. I always struggle to sign off on these because... Well, if you've gotten this far, thanks for listening to our shit story. <laughs> it's not all shit, but a lot yeah, of it. Yeah, really. I mean, I, I do appreciate it. Um, I guess, you know what? Fuck it. The podcast is over. This is the after talking. Now, okay? Okay. Bonus after bonus after party. We have heard from a ton of people in the last couple of weeks. Like I said, it's actually been overwhelming. People that we haven't heard from in years. And it's not all bad, but I want to share this observation. A lot of what I think happens with these types of outcast stories when people are either pushed aside ignored or they just can't fit into the organization or system anymore or institution is that they just kind of like fall off and then what happens if you're still in the organization is you forget about those people and you forget about their stories Mm -hmm. and the story that gets talked about the most is the one that is the most convenient for the organization hey we're here hey we're changing people's lives hey we accept everyone hey, we're loving. You know, that's what the organization says about itself. Now, when you talk to people that have had a darker side of the story, and I I will admit, you guys, I think you know this, but I'm not stupid. Our story is pretty extreme. Not all stories are this extreme. But there's also a lot to learn from our story as we've looked at minor versions and how they're practiced across other organizations. But a lot of times what happens is these stories, the less popular versions the darker side, if you want to call it that, they just dwindle off. Mm -hmm. And we tend to focus on the one that is the most, it's like um, confirmation bias. It's the one that supports our current position the most, which is like, yeah, we're here doing the Lord's work, doing a good job, loving people, changing the city, Mm -hmm. right? Now, a lot of people did that with us, and we fell off the map for three years. We don't hear from anybody. Mm -hmm. And then we start releasing these podcasts, and we're yeah. like, guess what, motherfuckers? We're still here. <laughs> <laughs> and where a lot of people lose their balls, and uh, and I'm not saying that to sound condescending to them, but it's just like you... They get the kick shit, shit out of them, and that makes sense. That dude, they, absolutely. And it makes the all kick, this... I just, <laughs> they get the shit kicked out of them. Um, yeah. You just fall off. 
and I totally know why those people wouldn't come up. But I also feel like it's not our style. We have this platform for a reason, and I feel like we owe it to the world to to do it. Maybe it's the only reason why we're here. I don't know. Or we owe it to ourselves. But now all of a sudden, people are like, oh, that story. That's in my face again. And I can't ignore it. And they have to deal with it. And it's been fascinating watching the response for that um, Mm -hmm. of people, frankly, I'm going to speak frankly, trying to feel good about themselves by rectifying our story with theirs. How do you coexist in an institution that treats people this way? And I'm not saying everyone needs to bail or leave. I think it's an interesting question. Yeah. How do you continue to exist in an institution that feels this or that treats people this way? Mm -hmm. Or do you discount ours i mean i don't know that's that's been the fascinating thing to watch mm-hmm. and we're still in the middle yep. of it okay this is officially over good night peace